the incomparable. Number 252, June 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. We are here uh, with our what has become an annual tradition where we wrap up two things at once, the season of Game of Thrones, and we talk about other shows that we watched, if we can remember them, this season. Uh, to, so what, the way w- this is going to work, we're going to do some uh, stuff about other shows at a high level that we that we liked, maybe disliked, I don't know, that we can remember. And then we'll shift gears and blow the spoiler horn and talk about the season of Game of Thrones. Joining me to talk about uh, TV uh, from this past season, a fine panel of people. David Lohr is out there. Hello, David. Hey. Hey, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about Mulaney. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. Dan Morin also out there. Hello. Uh, winter was, winter's gone. Okay. It's over. Winter is no longer coming. It's always coming. Winter left. Yeah, the solstice. Winter fell. Winter got tired of your has come. bowl. Erica Ensign, hello. Hello. No, it's it's spring. It's the spring of my discontent. Yeah. Almost summer. And John Syracusa is out there. Hi, John. I'm sad not to be doing this in person. I know. The, yeah. old, the old ways are best. Yeah, I know, but they moved <laughs> Game of Thrones till later, so we can't do it in person anymore. And joining us as a special guest, uh, one of the people, along with Marty Ashley, who's not here, who helped me recap episode by episode the game of thrones season on the tv podcast part of the great incomparable network it's brian hamilton hi brian very happy to be here jason okay before we get to game of thrones let's talk about some other shows that we saw this season just i mean this is really an just an excuse to bring up some shows that you watched that you liked or that you didn't like uh just to get them out there because we i feel like this is as good a time as any to kind of bookmark the you know close the books on uh, the TV that we've been watching in the last year, uh, Dan Moore, and why don't we start with you? There's some shows that you wanna you wanna uh, honor here or dishonor either way. Yeah, yeah. I, there are there are there are many shows I want to, and we spent we spent a long podcast talking about many of the superhero shows right, this we should year. Cite that. So we, we you, people should go check listen that out. to that. I won't go into more detail on that. Uh, I will say a couple other shows that I really enjoyed this year. Um, Justified came to an end after six seasons in a really, I thought, really nice uh, wrap-up. One of the best sort of cohesive crime TV shows that I've seen in the last several years. Yeah, that's one of my um, wife's all-time favorites. She it's, loved it's it. A great, it's a great show. It's well-written. It's funny, um, but it's also, you know, intensely dramatic at points. Timothy Oliphant is fantastic. Uh, hard to, you know, give him enough credit as an actor. And Walton Goggins... Uh, also fantastic. He's if you've seen him on The Shield or in his various other performances, this is this is truly I think one of his best roles. So uh, I think that was among my favorite shows this year. Um, Brooklyn Nine Nine uh, had a had a solid second season. Um, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, uh, I don't watch a lot of sitcoms, um, but that was one that made it to the to the top there, and I've really really liked it. That is my favorite comedy on TV right now. Is Brooklyn Nine Nine? I think I would agree with that. <laughs> I think I would agree with that. Um, and then the other thing I was going to mention, which of course is now just totally flown out of my head. I was going to mention um, Star Wars Rebels, which oh, nice. is uh, the animated show, which is fantastic. Um, I really, I had just gotten into Clone Wars last year and sort of gone back and rewatched all that on Netflix. And while I really came to love that show, I, you know, I, and they sort of canceled it before its time. Um, I was like, well, this whole thing, making a new show, it's probably going to suck. And I started watching it. It's really good. And if you are, if you have watched Clone Wars, it is, it is a successor to Clone Wars. Like there is direct continuity. It turns out there is, isn't there, Dan? Yes. Like in the last scene, it makes it very clear that there is direct continuity. I like like Star Wars Rebels a lot. It is 
It's great. Fun. And it's about like the early days of the rebellion, basically, right before the original Star Wars movies. Yep. And and you've got some great you know performances. Freddie Prinze Jr. plays a uh, plays a Jedi. Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, a lot of other oh. great um, great characters in there too, who are who are just really well drawn. It's sort of like a it's fun because you get the like sort of band of misfits. Yeah, and they're traveling together. Firefly like. The rebe- yeah, the rebellion's not quite a thing yet, but there are lots of appearances by characters from the original movies, from Clone Wars. You know, like there's definitely some tie in there, and so it feels like a really it feels like a really solid part of the Star Wars universe. And I think, and, and all the characters are really well fleshed out. I think they do a nice job of, of spending time with each of them and making you actually care about what happens to them. So I've actually seen the premiere of the second season um, because they showed it at Star Wars Celebration. And it's really, it's knock your socks off is all I'm going to say. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this season. I look at this guy. Thank you. Thank you. I acknowledged. <laughs> Yeah, I think that show, like Clone Wars, has a certain sadness over it because you know yep. what has to happen before the beginning of A New Hope. So all the characters that you're looking, hanging out with and enjoying, at the very least, they're going to be defeated, exiled, hidden, or whatever. Most likely, they'll be dead if we're going to go with the continuity of like how many Jedi were hanging around at the beginning yep. of A New Hope. Not that many, so if there's a bunch of Jedi hanging out here, maybe don't get too attached, and it's kind of sad, like... You know that this rebellion is not going to be triumphant because it's only triumph. It's barely triumphant at the end of a new hope. And this is these series are going to end. So I, I kind of feel that melancholy watching all these characters. Like they're they're giving it their best effort. They're flying around. They're being trouble for the empire. But in the end, it's gonna you're gonna need a farm boy here. <laughs> yep, yep. It's a good sh- good show. Um, that's been the dinner time entertainment with my family. Like something the whole family can watch. Yep. Uh, any anything more, Dan? Uh, just to say that this was apparently the year where all of my shows ended, because in addition to Justified, Parenthood, Parks and Recreation, Mad Men, um, there were at least a couple others in there, too, were, and some of the, the USA shows, which I enjoyed, sadly got canceled, like Covert Affairs, which I think I mentioned on last year's TV podcast, which I really liked, was a really good spy drama, and they canceled it. Um, so... Yeah, my uh, my list of shows has been windowed down, and and two shows that I dro- I will say two shows that I dropped after watching the first season, and and sort of half heartedly enjoying the first season were The Blacklist and Sleepy Hollow. I watched the first couple episodes of this season of both of them, and was like, eh, not really doing anything for me, so I kind of gave up on those, which is uh, I and I haven't really missed them. <laughs> Sleepy Hollow really lost lost its way this year, which is too bad because I really liked the first season yeah I, I liked the first season and i didn't like how they ended it and it seemed like that kind of rippled into the entire second season and i didn't care for it erica what do you have for us i i kind of wish scott mcnulty was here because he's sort of my my the good wife buddy oh yeah the only other person that i know that, that really watches <laughs> that show which i have to say i was kind of disappointed with this season of it uh i i like courtroom drama and this this season was a lot more political drama and i don't care for that quite as much so it was a little little disappointing but it looks like it might go back to the courtroom next year so i'm i'm not giving up until next season starts we'll, did somebody we'll get disbarred or something that they did no she was running for um uh, she was running for some sort of office ah, and see. then of course because you know you can't have you can't have that because she's the, she's the lawyer um by the end it, it all does not work out in her favor and she has to go back into practice and and the big cliffhanger was michael j fox coming up and saying would you like to meet my my partner and he's like he's a horrible person so <laughs> nobody nobody wants that except do we hmm yeah 
So I've got The Good Wife and Castle is the only other thing I've watched, but I, I don't really have much to say about Castle because it's like I'll put it on when I'm eating. It's like my popcorn show. Mm. And I, <laughs> I just sort of zone out and just enjoy the, the formula, which is exactly the same on every single episode. So, But it's nice when they do like funny ones and they do they, they're clever still. I think, you know, yeah. they have a surprising mm-hmm. amount of gas left in the tank after this many seasons. Definitely. I appreciate a show that doesn't take itself too seriously. And that is absolutely Castle. They do not take themselves too seriously. They're they're not afraid of a good pastiche. And I appreciate that. Yep. I've never seen Castle, but don't they really like doing uh, Nathan Fillion references to other things? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's And I'm good with it. They know that they, so much of that show relies on the charm of Nathan Fillion. Uh, and they just sort as with of anything, like, you know, Nathan Fillion. Yeah, exactly. And so they're like, well, let's just let him do kind of like whatever he wants to do, really. And it seems like they let him work in jokes to pretty much anything there. So that's always fun. And and they throw in some occasional like running continuity things, which are mm-hmm. you know interesting. But this season was a little strange in that department. But they still had some good episodes. So it's it's a solid show. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I learned from uh, Scott and Anthony talking on the Unjustly Maligned podcast, Scott McDulty did an episode there about murder she wrote. Uh, uh-huh. Castle is basically murder he wrote. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it really, really is. Uh, which is not, there's nothing wrong with that. That is, that is comfort television. Yep. David, what about you? What shows do you have for us? Well, the only thing I watched more than Game of Thrones this year was CSI Cyber. No. Cyber! <laughs> Don't steal my show, David. I'm going to talk about CSI Cyber. <laughs> now, I, I was going to say, I mean, we, we talked about all the superhero shows, so I won't even spend time on that. But um, outside of those, I, I watched Jane the Virgin, um, actually on yeah. Tim Goodman's recommendation, and fell in love with that. Great show. Um, just delightful. I, I enjoyed uh, Blackish. And fresh off the boat, both on ABC, both sitcoms, both huh? uh, a different take on family sitcoms from what what we were seeing these days. So that was nice. Um, I'm still watching Brooklyn Nine Nine. Still love Brooklyn Nine Nine. I loved the Parks and Recreation finale. Yeah. And uh, in case in case there are people who haven't seen it yet, all I will say is it ends just perfectly really does that, that entire season this entire season of it was just the perfect oh, absolutely from start to finish i think they pretty much nailed it like that is might be one of the best last seasons of television i've ever seen and and just the the one episode that's basically amy poehler and nick offerman and that's yes. it yep. that was spectacular that might be maybe my favorite episode of the whole series it might be the best yeah yeah i i've uh, enjoyed i zombie i've been getting ah. into that a little bit the Rob uh, Thomas been, show. I've totally been meaning yeah. to watch that, but haven't yet. So maybe I've got those stacked on the DVR. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm trying to think. I, there haven't been a lot of new shows this year besides Jane the Virgin and and the, the uh, superhero shows. Uh, but one show that sort of surprised me this year, uh, and this again, this is one that I never would have watched. All you know, just was like, oh, it's another Chuck Lorre sitcom, but. You know, Todd Vanderwerf and a whole bunch of other TV critics said, no, 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 no. You should give mom another chance. It's turned into a really good show. Wow. It's a solid sitcom. I'm not going to say it's the most brilliant thing on earth, but it allows the characters to be serious and it deals with some uh, pretty intense uh, addiction stories and relapses and death and, you know, 
not you know they they don't all live in a fancy house and they don't all have money and and they don't all have the perfect job and it's not like what you're seeing on network tv right now it's really interesting and i mean alice and janney come on she's brilliant um so yeah it, it's that has surprised me it's still not appointment television i'm still not going out of my way to watch it but when i come across it i'm like yeah i'll leave it on Critics are raving. I left it on. I left the TV on. <laughs> I didn't turn away from mom. Brian, what uh, what shows did you bring for us? I, I know you're primarily here to talk Game of Thrones, but we should also get your, your input on television. In yeah, no, the thing I watched the most this season was Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, my favorite thing I watched this year was um, an old show, Party Down. I binged the entire oh, thing yeah. on Hulu Plus. Oh, yeah. It is... Fantastic. Oh my god, I'm not a fan of the like awkward sitcom comedy things. I feel like the best evolution of it since the original Office was Party Down, and it was... I'm amazed it's taken me this long to see it. Uh, what else? Uh, another plug for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, my favorite currently running show. It's uh, The second season is flawless. Um, a shout-out to Bob's Burgers. I really enjoyed uh, this fifth season. I enjoy watching the show, not really knowing what it is in the first season, trying to replicate early Simpsons with some really raunchy jokes. But as it's picked up with uh, lots of little kids and uh, things like that, it, the show's really evolved. And it's starting to become more zany, more silly, way more pop culture references lots of just letting the comedians that run the uh, voice cast of the show just kind of go off and throw in whatever they want in the uh in the dialogue and it's wonderful um what else I do want to give a shout out to a mini series that aired uh last October on Cartoon Network called Over the Garden Wall which is a brilliant little 10 episode thing that they aired over the course of a week. Uh, it takes maybe 90 minutes to watch the entire thing in one sitting. It is if Adventure Time met Year Walk for iOS. It is a beautifully animated, heartbreaking story about two uh, young boys uh, wandering in the woods, running away from an evil beast. And it become it's more episodic than that, but it is a really beautiful. I I don't want to say avant garde, but it's very unique in what it is. It's almost like it takes the Adventure Time sensibilities and makes it scary. Merlin's talked about this on a few other shows. It's my favorite thing from uh, last year, and then this year was definitely uh, Bob's Burgers and Brooklyn Nine Nine. Great choices. <laughs> Let's take a break. I'm going to tell you about our sponsor today. It is my good friends at MailRoute. You know, who should be handling your email? Email nerds. That's the answer. Nerds is always the answer. Email nerds who do nothing but email. They are focused on email. That's what they care about. And that's MailRoute. These are the people who created the first cloud-based email filtering solution. They sold that to Microsoft. Now they're back with MailRoute, the most innovative and effective spam and virus filtering available. Imagine a world without spam or viruses or bounced email. This is not a pipe dream. This is something that you can get by using MailRoute. You can open your email and see only the legitimate mail that you want and need to receive every day. This is great for overworked corporate email administrators. If you've got an a domain, no matter who hosts it, MailRoute can help. A long dead domain that's overrun with spam that's not being used, you can write that off and say, we can't even use that domain because all that's in there is spammers. The spammers got those email addresses long ago. Forget about it. You don't have to forget about it. Point it at MailRoute. MailRoute will remove all of that stuff and only the clean mail goes to that domain. You don't have to install or maintain any hardware or software. MailRoute receives your mail, sorts it, and delivers only clean 
email to your mailboxes. It's easy to set up, reliable, trusted by large institutions like universities and corporations. If you're a desktop user, you'll find MailRoute's user interface is simple and effective. If you're an email administrator or IT professional, they've got all the tools with you in mind. There's an API for easy account management. They support LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, mail bagging, outbound relay, everything that you'd want from the people handling your mail. Nerds! Nerds is the answer. There are a bunch of email savants sitting around. All they do is try to figure out how to make your email as trouble-free as possible. Put the nerds on the case. Remove spam from your life for good. Go to MailRoute.net slash Snell, and you'll get a free trial and 10% off for the lifetime of your account. MailRoute.net slash Snell. Free trial. No reason not to try it. And you get 10% off if you decide to stick with it for the lifetime of your account. Thank you so much to MailRoute for filtering all the spam out of my email and for sponsoring The Incomparable. John? I have very little uh, connection to what is this season or whatever, so I'm just going to talk about shows that I watched on sure. TV. And you'll, you'll tell me if it was actually last season. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll judge uh, <laughs> season or not. Yeah. Season or not. Uh, Mad Men, which is mentioned many times already, I, I really uh, I've always enjoyed that show, and I thought the ending of it was sort of just right and also not satisfying to <laughs> most people in that, like... Uh, I think a lot of people wanted it to end how it sounds like Parks and Rec ended. Like, oh, uh, you know, and so our story is done and it has come to a satisfying conclusion when uh, what Mad Men did is much more true to the spirit of the show, which is the people in the show, some of them have changed since season one in ways uh, minor and major. But our hero, Don Draper, and the general direction of, you know, sort of humanity in the show, like... People don't change as much as you think they do. Like the, the people who came to satis- to sort of happier endings always had that in them from the beginning of season one. And Don will always be Don. He'll always do the thing that Don does. And in this season, he just continued to do the Don thing. He did it one more time, one last time. And it is not a bow tied up on his life. It is a continuation of his life in the fashion that it has been progressing, you know, with, with changes and different, you know, people get older, people move on. People get divorced, people die, businesses dissolve. But in, in the end, he's him. He continues to be him. And I think a lot of people found that unsatisfying. It's like, you know, but didn't didn't he learn anything from all this TV that I watched? Like, uh, no, he's still himself and he's still doing what he does. Uh, and he still has all his problems. He hasn't really solved his problems. He's living the life that Don Draper will continue to live long after we stop watching him on the show. And I found that... Uh, you know, sort of not satisfying from like a story perspective of like now you've tied everyone up and everyone lands in the place you think they deserve. But in a realistic thing of like, it's not about deserve. It's about this is what this character that we've firmly established over five seasons. This is what he's like and this is what he's going to continue to be like. And so I give it uh, props for bravery, uh, kind of in the same way that the Sopranos and ending. I really like that a lot of other people really hated thought it was also true <laughs> to its, its show. I, I kind of took the opposite view of the finale, which I loved. But I think I think he does actually change in the finale. How does he change? He just does the thing he always does. He's you know what I don't know what. But what... he's he's at peace with it, and he's become a better version of himself. I mean, he's broken before he gets to that point. Right. I mean, I don't know, but has he hit bottom? He's gone to lots of little dips, and then he comes out of it, and then he is re-energized for his work and his life and his relationships, and then he descends again, and then he comes out of it, and that, like every time he can't handle like, oh, I'm just making ads for a living. I'm not being true to myself, and I, my relationships don't work because I don't know how to love, and I have these 
needs and blah, blah, blah. But wait a second, advertising is great, and I'm going to parlay my emotions into making a great ad, but oh, it's all for nothing. And like, that's just, he's just up and down and up and down. And he just, he goes, maybe he goes down a little bit deeper and he goes up a little bit higher, but it's just the, the Don Draper roller coaster. Moving well, on. Well, I, I, th- I think he's following the template of his life. Yeah. I mean, that's that's his coping mechanism. I think this time, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that he's he's out there for much longer than the show allows him. You know, we, we just sort of see like, I don't know, a minute at the end where he's out at the ocean, then he's doing this, he's doing that. Um, I, I think it's meant to be a much longer period of time. Do you think the oscillation is increasing? Like the whatever, the, the, the time between the dips is stretching out as he gets older? Yeah, yeah. And and does he completely change? I don't know. I don't think so. But I yeah. think he's he's finally reached the best version of Don Draper that he can be. And I think I think the version of him that's si- that sixty would be better because I think the arcs will eventually go out to be longer and longer, and he'll either, he'll either end on a high or a low. But but either way, I'm yeah. glad that it wasn't yeah. like and now all those problems you saw him having for five seasons are gone, and he has conquered yes. them, and he now has healthy relationships, and he has a family, and he's satisfied in his work. That's not gonna that's not gonna happen for him. Yes, that that was not going to happen. Yeah, the one that I was a little bit disappointed in was, I mean, I just I choose to believe that that Pete Campbell will will make a disaster of his life. Uh, oh yes, know, like, but, <laughs> but it seems like oh, let's go off to Wichita, wherever we're going, in our private jet, and we're back together. Like that's got disaster written all over it. And my my first thought with that was plane crash. <laughs> well, not plane crash, but like he's going to mess up in the way that he <laughs> yeah. always does. Yeah, he'll he'll stick his foot in his mouth and then someone else's mouth and. Yeah, I couldn't tell if they were trying to say, hey, Pete finally got it together. And the lesson of the show is nobody ever gets it together. And that's why I feel like, oh, you know, Peggy and Joan and all like they were always those people. They were just like by because of their inexperience and the times and the position they were in, they had to claw their way up to what they could have always been, you know, to begin with. Right. Yeah. Although I still think Peggy should uh, not should be. I, I always found it odd that Peggy did not spend more time as far as we're aware dwelling on her baby that she gave away. Because it seems like something yeah, that you would that think was... about a lot, but it, it never came up in the show. We don't know what she's thinking because we're not inside her brain. But it seemed it seemed like the show didn't want to dwell on that after season one. Yeah. Yeah. And so what other shows? Uh, I'm, I'm continuing to watch Orphan Black and enjoy it. Uh, I haven't even... It's, I don't think the season is even over. I think it is not as good as it was, but it's still... This is kind of my castle. Orphan Black is my castle. I'm like, all right, you know, I'll watch it. <laughs> It's fun. It's Ouch. kind of silly. I don't take it too serious. It's not. I don't take it too seriously. The performances are still fun. I think the mythology of the show is already a mess, and it's like, all right, well, <laughs> it whatever. Was a, it was a mess last year, <laughs> so it's only just gotten worse. It's not getting better. Yeah. Um, H- House of Cards also kind of. I mean, that that's coming to a conclusion. I assume in the next season, it's heading toward like where can you really go after where they are in the season. Things are falling apart, as you predicted they would. The characters and performances are still good. The political intrigue is so-so. I miss the West Wing. Um, <laughs> and I miss, the, I miss me being the age I was when the West Wing is on, because I feel like if I rewatched it now, I would not like it as much. Mm. Um, yes. Still, yes, trust me on that. No, I I don't know. I still I really rewatched it fairly recently, within the last year or two, and I thought most of it still held up pretty well. It, Not it all has, of it. But. It. but anyway, House of Cards is a poor substitute for that. I'm looking forward to Orange is the New Black, even though I haven't seen it, because I like that show. That show is uh, much more fun than those other ones I listed. Girls had another season, also a show that is having difficulty re you know finding the spirit that it had in season one, but I still watch it because it's interesting and the episodes are short and they make me laugh. Uh, and finally, <laughs> I I don't know if this was the season, but Sons of Anarchy did that end now? Yeah, whereas Lisa, yes. when you need her, 
I started sort of hate watching it as like, oh, this is a silly show. And then I actually kind of got into it in some of the, you know, middle seasons, maybe season two, season three. I'm like, you know, this is kind of like, especially the one that ended with like a successful caper by the people and you know, all the moody stuff with the main character deciding what he's going to do with his life early on. And then they, you know, then it kind of found its footing as like a show about a bunch of biker gangs and uh, how they're finding their way. And then... Does anyone care if I spoil Sons of Anarchy? You shouldn't, but... Does anyone... <laughs> Spoiler horn again. At the end of the second-to-last season, when uh, What's-Her-Name from Mad Men uh, gets stabbed in the back of the head with a fork, I said, you know what? F this show. And then I watched the final season, because that's what you do. Um, and, and the final season did not redeem it after that. That's when the <laughs> show entirely lost me. It, it had built up to a point where they could have had... Uh, something that was in keeping with with the story and the characters and they went for the drama and the gore and the over the topness and the final season there's just nothing they could do it, they not that i really cared so much about these characters but after that i felt betrayed by the people who made the show and just disgusted by the show in general so i watched the final season and it was stupid and the ending who cares uh don't bother <laughs> watching sons of anarchy or if you do stop before the second to last season from what I've seen of Sons of Anarchy, Breaking Bad did a better job of doing Sons of Anarchy in the, its last eight episodes than Sons of Anarchy ever did. Don't, don't even mention those two shows in the same sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Please, let's not sully the name of Breaking Bad. All right, anything else? That's I, that... for, I forgot two shows. Okay, see, this is why, this is why I asked. Are they superhero shows? Because we did cover No, they're those. not We did a whole shows. thing about that, Dan. Okay, they're, go ahead. They're British. That's why I forgot them. Um, uh, the third season of Ripper Street, which got resurrected by Amazon, I believe. Um, is really, really good. I enjoyed the first two seasons of that. Uh, Jerome Flynn, who plays Braun on Game of Thrones, plays a uh, a detective, which well, is it's, fantastic. it's a BBC He's, series. It's a BBC America, I think. I don't know. It's one of those weird shows that's like owned by various people. But like Amazon apparently rescued it because they were going to cancel it. And they then renewed it for like two more seasons. So it's, it's going to go on for a while. Uh, Matthew McFadden, too, who I also really like. Um, that's a, a good Victorian era crime show. And this season has a nice sort of ongoing plot, even as it delves into, you know, one-off things, including an episode that's like, kind of like a bottle episode that's pretty well done as a, with a mystery. Um, and then I've been watching, although this is not new this season, I've been watching Endeavor, um, which is the, a prequel. It's a, the young Inspector Morse, basically in Oxford in the 1960s. Uh, and it's hmm. it's it's uh it's one of those things shows up on like a masterpiece on like mystery or something it's but they're like hour and a half episodes but there's like only four episodes in a season um, but it's fun it's really well done it's just the the guy who plays the main character is is excellent and and you have roger alum as, as his roger mentor, alum as his mentor is fantastic. fantastic he is so good oh in my God. detective detective inspector thursday yeah um so i really like that show um i've only watched i think most of the first season i think it's on season two right now uh, or it's finished season two. So I, I give that a big thumbs up as something I started watching. This was a little over a year ago, um, but True Detective season two is coming next week or so. So season one, kind of last year, really fantastic. That's all I have to say about that. Okay, <laughs> that, was, that was definitely not was this that, season, it, right, guys? It was, Very well, quiet. I mean, seasons are all breaking down. That was in the summer. So it was a, it was been, it's been a year since we talked about this. And True Detective premiered, I think, after we talked about it. So you can throw that in there. You're not going to lose any points. <laughs> You're also not going to gain any points because I'm not keeping score. <laughs> I don't have a lot to add. Uh, David took my uh, mention of CSI Cyber 
as I've detailed on the TV Talk Machine podcast, <laughs> CSI Cyber, the CSI stands for Cyber Cyber Investigation. <laughs> the second cyber is spelled with an S. Um, the C may stand for CBS. I'm not sure. Anyway, it's really it's stupid. St- it stands for Synergy. CSI Cyber, spectacularly stupid show. Oh, wow. Watch it and laugh if you like. Um, it is. I, I, it's I'm going to give it the war, award for the dumbest show of the season. And I saw Scorpion. Which is really close. Which is also amazingly dumb. But, but this, this this really loses it out. Yeah. Of all the shows that have been mentioned, the only show that hasn't come up that I want to throw I want to throw a little love is the uh, what seventh and presumably sixth no sixth and presumably final season of Community, which mm. which spooled uh, out on Yahoo screen of all I'm places. Still watching it, but you know what? Probably not their best season, but maybe their second best season. Way better than the last couple of years. Um, some really good stuff. I was surprised. I was just worried that it was going to be not that interesting. And uh, it actually ended up being really quite good. So um, if you are a community fan and you haven't uh, sought it out on Yahoo screen, you should because it was good. And then everything else I've got is just to to agree with the praise for Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec finale, uh, Jane the Virgin, really good. And then we talked about all a couple episodes ago about all the superhero shows that were that are, that are good, especially The Flash so you should check those out, too. I want to pause a minute and tell you about something that's not a sponsor. Uh, you all may know I left my longtime job um, late last year. And one of the ways I am working and uh, supporting my family as an independent person is I'm writing stuff. I have my own website. And I'm also doing a bunch of different podcasts, including, of course, The Incomparable. Now, the way I make money from The Incomparable is through advertising, and I also get to do some nice things at the end of the year for my panelists by uh, bringing in money for The Incomparable. And one of the ways that we can sell good ads that actually are relevant to you is by doing a demographic survey, which we do a couple of times a year using the uh, ad network that we use to sell ads on The Incomparable. And it's survey time. So if you could drop into the survey, it would help us out a lot. You go to podsurvey.com slash Snell. That's podsurvey, P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y.com slash Snell, my last name. Take about five minutes. It's completely anonymous. Um, They aggregate all the data. And the whole idea is just to provide good demographic data so that we can find advertisers that are matched to the incomparable. And you guys are awesome. So the more information we've got, the more advertisers are going to say, oh, those guys. I want to reach those guys. And that helps support me and the show. And when you finish the the survey, you actually get entered in a monthly drawing to win a $100 Amazon gift card. So that's a little bonus. Anyway, podsurvey.com slash Snell. Thank you for helping me and the incomparable find the best advertisers, keep the show coming to you regularly for free, supporting the network as a whole. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks in advance for filling out the survey. Well, let's move on now, and I'm going to fire off the spoiler horn. We're going to be talking about everything that happened in Season 5 of Game of Thrones, so here comes the spoiler horn. Ooh, yep. Wow. That's a much louder in person. It's a spectacular. Did it get longer? It uh, seems longer. It always seems longer, Dan. And yet, I assure you, it's always the same, uh, always the same length. So, season five of Game of Thrones. Now, Brian and I have talked about it a lot, but but I have not talked about it 
on uh, on this podcast with Brian. This is true. So we're, we could just do that now. But I wanted to get the take <laughs> of the people who haven't done many, many podcasts about Game of Thrones this year first. So uh, John and Erica and Dan, would any of you like to talk about sort of the, the, the whole Game of Thrones season as a whole? Erica? I'll wait till John does his opening statement. Yeah, I was just going to say the John, same thing. John, yeah, okay, let's start. Okay, everybody defers to John. I hope John has something to say other than, yep, yep whatever. Yeah, I have a little bit. So right. I, I don't read the books. I am the non-book reader in our Game of Thrones group here, right? Uh, and in the beginning, I enjoyed that because I didn't have the burden of comparing it to the books. I could just enjoy it as a television show. I didn't care whether it was or was not following the books. This season based on my vague awareness of the relation to the books uh, that I get through uh, seeing people's grumpy tweets about uh, the show, my impression is that we have either caught up to the books or are starting to deviate from the books or both. And even though I don't know or care anything about the books, I find that adds some kind of excitement to the show that, and don't, I guess you can tell me if I'm wrong, but like that the show is that we're like caught up to real time or close and that the show is sort of doing its own thing and doesn't care about the books. And it seems more exciting to me, even though I don't know what happens in the books. I guess maybe it's exciting to me because now the possibility of spoilers is mostly removed. But Mm -hmm. I like the idea of not knowing what's going to come next and knowing that no one knows what's to come uh, next. And that sort of feeling permeated the season for me. And if it's entirely a false feeling, feeling, I guess you can tell me now and i'll be no, disappointed uh, let me tell no, you you are right. exactly right um it, it looked as the season went along like they were just diverging entirely from what was happening in the books and it turns out that's not what they were doing in the last episode what what i discovered as a reader uh of these books is w- the divergence throughout the year was basically editing to streamline the story so that they could land essentially every character in the last episode at the point where they are within a chapter uh, of of where they are at the end of the of the most recently released book, I would say with one with one major exception, I feel like which was Hardhome, which I felt like was actually something that, that may, may well there's some may things happen. that may happen yet in future yeah. books to be released right exactly but all the characters end up landing like exactly again and they... we've blown the spoiler horn here um john gets stabbed by the members of the night's watch at the end of that book that's his cliffhanger cersei does the walk of shame uh naked through the streets and and uh that that happens at the end of the the most recently released well, book except uh area aria's thing happens earlier the blindness aria it's her cliffhanger from the previous book and yet a lot of the story that happens after in the in is sort of stuff that they kind of pushed forward. So they moved some stuff around there. But and I don't think Tyrion was... Did he make it to Marine? Tyrion's past... Again, that's, that's a case where he, his story has actually gone past the end yeah. of the book. So right. at this point, the whole show is either at the end, I would say, with maybe you could argue about Arya a little bit, but but even there, I feel like she's she's... Uh, so close that uh, essentially the show is off is off the map for book readers now. It's either at the point where the book ended or it's past the point where the book ended. We all so get so to, we're all just, I have no idea. I get to, yeah, I get to wildly to speculate together. now. It's so good. We all get to wonder together whether or not Jon Snow is really dead. Yeah. What about Bran and Rickon? What about and Hodor? That, and that was last guys? season, like, and that has, they they already jumped ahead in that last yeah, they, season. Their story last was season was literally uh, their material from A Dance with Dragons, the most 
most recent book. So they had they had nothing to do. So they just took them off the stage for this season. I think that on a couple of episodes, they they showed them like in the previously on like, oh, are they going to I've totally expected them to come back at the end of, of yeah. the, the season. And but I guess they just had nothing more to say about them. And they were just reminding you that they existed in the previously. on. I wanted to scene out of the Godswood at, 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 uh, at Winterfell where where like Theon or Sansa was out at the trees and like the trees eyes open and it's like Poo, I see you and it turns out that that's <laughs> that's a that's a Bran from inside the little his little can, tree tree people cave. They can come and save John, right? Or he'll be saved by the uh, the Red Lady. What's her name? Melisandre. 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 Yeah. She's there, which is, she which is a running. That's a running. So that's interesting because I was reading about it and then they were like I was reading some recaps and they were reminding me that. That Melisandre and earlier met Beric Dedarian, who was also returned from the dead a bunch of times, which mm-hmm. I had totally forgotten. Yeah. So I went back. Yeah, and said, yeah. Oh man, that's like in the like season three. Ago. She meets Thoros of Mir and Beric Dondarrion, and yeah, sees I went that and we the, rewatched that scene that the Red very... God has resurrected other people before. And, and she mean, also has an interesting interchange with Arya, where she's like, "You are basically going to murder a lot of people. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> and I'll see you again at some point." So that's still kind of hanging there. On the other hand, like, so all right, she could resurrect him, but on the other hand, you know, she just loves that king's blood, and there's a whole bunch of that. <laughs> just get a get a jar, king's bastard blood. But still, she's been known to leech some of that out from time to time. Like, yeah, she just run over that resurrect or just collect the blood, resurrect or collect the blood. I don't know. There's a fairly healthy supply of it now at the wall, so she can just grab that. A lot of blood. It's too well. It's running <laughs> off into the snow. I think. Yeah, Erica, what did you think of this season as a whole? Well, I'm I'm kind of in between. Um, I'm not actually a book reader, although I tried when I heard they were creating a show of it. I read. I started reading the books, and I just didn't like them. I slogged through the first book and most of the second one, and eventually I just gave up because it, while it was you know, great world building and stuff, I just didn't really like any of the characters mm. all that much. And it's just one bad thing after another after another. So it just it made me feel not good. So I quit reading it. Um, but I thought I'd give the show a try. And there was just something about watching actors breathe life into these characters that made me enjoy it so much more than the experience of reading the books. So I have I have stuck with the show and, and enjoyed it. However, as we have gotten through this season, it seems like that kind of sloggy feeling from from reading the books is, is rearing its ugly head again a little bit because, um, yes, there were some characters that I liked, but many of them have died or yeah. made choices that I just have to shake my head at or just such horrible things are happening to them that it, it's become less fun for me to watch. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not giving up on the show, but I am uh, I'm enjoying it a little bit less than I was before. I agree. I feel like uh, it's the worst of both worlds in that horrible things are happening to these characters and you should feel for them. But at this point, we're five seasons in. They're almost archetypes. We exactly mm-hmm. know what people are going to be doing and why they're going to be doing it. It's very rare that motives change like that. So they're just kind of there doing stuff and we're along with them and it gets so bleak and so depressing that it's impossible to watch. The bleakness I understand because, I mean, this is the this is the middle of the story. This is the second act. Yep. They're about mm-hmm. to kick it in. They, the, the producers have said they want to finish in two more seasons. So, you know, this is the dark, this is the dark part. <laughs> That's like, yep. it's the Empire Strikes Back. This, this is, this is, and, and I, I said at several points this season, it, you know, 
I'm willing to go to these dark places with them, but there sure as hell better be an upswing at some point, you know, because because why are we watching if all it is is just everything's terrible and everybody dies and the the White Walkers kill everybody. The The end end is the the White Walkers kill everybody, (laughs) raise them all from the dead and we just start all over again. And And then it's a sitcom with White Walkers. You know, it becomes a comedy because all the humans are left and then it's the White Walkers. They got to have something to do all day. They yeah. just, you know, it's a sitcom. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing that, that has sort of turned me off a little bit is, you know, there are definitely issues with the treatment of women throughout the throughout the show. And, you know, some of it's just the really obvious stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of rape scenes. Never have been. Never will be. But the thing that actually I think that that made me swear out loud at the television was the uh, the battle scene with the White Walkers, which. I wanted to enjoy because it was really cool, but they had the, um, I don't remember what her name was, but the, the woman who was the elder of the wildlings. And I was really excited at first because, you know, he's like, okay, gather the elders and we needed to go talk about this. And I thought it was a really cool sort of cultural thing that the elders were not actually old people. Um, if you're a wildling, it's it's the the elders are the people who are the the wisest and the people who are going to be able to lead the best. And, and I thought that was a really neat thing. I was like, oh, hey, cool. There's a chick. She's leading. That's awesome. And then, and then. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so then, and then they totally, they just give, make, turn her around so her motivations are completely gendered and she's you know i have no problem with maternal instincts i do have a problem with a character who is supposed to be this strong wildling character who has survived in the north north of the wall all this time who suddenly can't kill a bunch of skeletons simply because they are small and look something like children yep i was so upset i almost didn't watch the next episode they were really creepy Mm -hmm. though maternal instinct would have made her kill them even more because she needs to stay alive for her kids who she just put on the boat that's the maternal instinct is do whatever you can to stay alive because your kids need you so yeah it that, was just that did so not was super la- it was super lazy and, and on the other yeah. side of the maternal instinct when uh when what's her name uh stannis's uh wife who has been very cold towards the daughter for the entire series so the daughter meets her untimely end and they have the woman uh you know so there's two ways this could have gone either she stays unfilling the whole time and that's in character for her because she's been like that the whole time she's a horrible person or she realizes her mistake and i fully once they showed that she was like oh i you know you can't do this to my child i fully expected her to jump onto the fire and die with her as well and they didn't do that they just kind of had her sort of ineffectually be like oh i vaguely regret this oh all right i will say on the flip side of that one of the one of the things that i liked about the fallout from that decision was that you know, we were watching that. I think that we were watching that scene, Jason and David, and uh, we were all like, wow, like, who who keeps following the dude who just, like, sacrificed his own daughter? And sure mm-hmm. enough, like, everybody yeah. is like, yeah, well, all right, we're out. That can go two ways on that. But, like, you know, that's the type of thing. Yeah, half the people would leave and the other half would be like, this guy's serious. Like this, you know, if you if you believe in the silly mat, you know, and right. if you believe in like the magic and the whole thing, like, or you're just like, real- hey, if this guy burns his daughter to death, what's he going to do to me? <laughs> right. Or not, not that you're doing it out of fear, but that you really well, believe like, because uh, effectively speaking, he did have, she did have that big black thing that killed Renly. Right. So it's not like, it's not like you're believing this with no reason. Yeah. But most of the people don't know about that. I, well, I know, but he was victorious over Renly because of this magic. He's telling you, we need to do this for the magic reason. Half the people are like, I'm out, or whatever. And the, re- the other half are like, this guy's really going to be king. You see how hardcore he is? Uh, turns out not so much. But, you know, like it, it is a, a reasonable belie- belief for the people who are following him that you're showing what a monster you are. And that would make a certain kind of person really believe that the same thing that Stannis believes that it's his destiny and blah, blah, blah. 
and but yeah. I, I just I like that there were consequences from it is I guess my point is like that there were a lot of people because especially during that scene when they do the the you know immolation scene there there are lots of people kind of looking at it you know they cut back to the soldiers who are looking very uncomfortable for the most part and so you know not they could have just like all right great we burned her now we've got the lord of light on her side now we will you know ride to victory and instead it turned out that that totally backfired and i think that's it's stannis has been really really you know he's lauded as this great tactician and military commander and this is a major misstep for him and you know to the point that it appears to lead to his demise so i think it's it's interesting that you know the sort of fallback on you know the religious themes for him ends up not really working out in his favor not only does he lose his entire family he loses his battle he loses his army and he possibly loses his life possibly why are you thinking they left that open because it seemed pretty shot to me it, they could have oh, showed no. it they, they didn't show it and they show an awful lot of beheadings <laughs> mm-hmm. on yep. this show, I, so. I, they, they didn't show the daughter burning either at a, in a rare moment of taste for the i think they wanted to focus on the reactions of the people there and i think in that in the stannis i agree with you it seems very likely that brienne has killed stannis which is also a departure from the book i believe um mm. but i I am not. I would not be surprised to find out that she has spared him for some reason. Like I, I could see a rationale for it. The show has burned that character though, basically, because the character oh, yeah. had an arc. He, doesn't have he an has arc completed left. the arc. Yeah. No, the audience hates him forever with good reason. Uh, he has no more friends. He has no more army. His role in the storytelling, like now, he's basically in the Reek role. Even Reek can have some redemption, I suppose. But like, <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody likes Stannis anymore. I think that's pretty conclusive when you burn your your daughter who yeah. loves you at the stake. No, he spent he spent the season trying to not trying to avoid it, and in the end, he had you know he 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 did it, and he any any sympathy we had for him is gone. I and mean, like he is a tragic character, and like I said, he gave in to the Red Woman early on, and it paid off. Like it worked exactly yeah. like she said. It was super powerful magic is real big black scary thing kills renly like he he was very uncertain in the beginning like i don't know about this lord of light stuff and she's whispering in his ear and i'm not sure and blah 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 and he's like all right go with it and it's like holy crap that worked like this you know he's still cautious about it but he's like this is this is real stuff she's not just blowing smoke right uh and then he made the same decision reluctantly in this season and it didn't work out I'm not going to say that I have known what was coming, having not read all of the books. Um, I've been surprised a bunch of times by this show, but I think that this was the most surprising of all of the plot twists because I really, really didn't expect <laughs> expect Stannis' downfall in this manner. So I was kind of like, oh boy, it was that was fun to watch. Yeah, because if you go back to the Red Wedding or even the Purple Wedding, Joffrey's uh, death scene, you really don't, like, you expect it because he spends so much time there. You know something's going to mm-hmm. happen. It's rare they spend so much time in one location during one episode. But for John's death, we get literally, what, two minutes at the very end of the final episode of the season? And mm-hmm. it, it, it just happens. And we're left there with John dead, and we don't know what to think of it. Oh, we don't know if he's dead. And that was so telegraphed. Like, this it whole season, I'm like, yeah. John is dead meat. Like, you know, everything he does this season, I'm surprised he didn't die early. Like, everything he does is he's trying to find some kind of middle way, but all of his allies just fade away, and everyone else who hates him gets closer and closer and closer. John is making big picture decisions that are the right ones but Mm -hmm. all the details of the personal relationships and everything he is getting you know he 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 is uh painting himself in a corner and it's in it is inevitable that this is going to happen to him i did not expect it at all i was really expecting uh after 
the White Walker rampage and uh, all of that, I was really thinking that he would have it in the back. He would survive until the very end because he can come back and say, this is what's going to happen. It is really bad. We need, need to pair up with the wildlings mm. and take care of this i was expecting that but that's, nope. that's why they had ollie there like the second ollie knocks on the door surely it occurred to you that what was going to happen <laughs> right because but, but ollie like they i don't know if he's a character in the book but he's having not. him be like hey the these specific wildlings came to my village and <laughs> killed my parents in front of me he's never gonna come around like you know what i think you're right john we should team up with nope never gonna happen right and he is the mm-hmm. proxy for all these other uh, nights while he tried to do like the political thing of putting his uh, his competitor for the election in charge and giving him a position and doing it like it just it's just inevitable like everybody just left him or died or left him and he is just there with all the people who hate him and like it's like that night like all right everyone's gone that's it we're killing him well i mean he won, he won by one vote right and that guy died and then <laughs> and, and and now he's and then he sets out to to bring the wildlings in which everybody hates and and even though he's got good reasons they they kind of i feel like that's the overarching story of game of thrones in a way is that there's a clear uh, threat to all humanity it's coming but humanity cannot look up to the horizon and see it because they're too busy fighting amongst themselves and that's the whole story I really mm-hmm. liked, as I think the AV Club's review of this episode pointed out, that we get trolled by the previously on oh, yeah. package, which oh. brings up Benjamin Stark. Oh, Benjen. remember way back oh. in the first season? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. when I saw that, I couldn't understand why they were showing that preview. But it, again, as soon as Ollie knocks at the door, it's like, don't go, John. You <laughs> knew Ollie was coming for him. You knew yeah. that would be like... It's a trap. And is he in the book? Is Ollie no, in the book? Ollie, in, Ollie doesn't exist as a character in the book. I don't quite understand why John doesn't see it, because he knows people are against him. And he, try, like I said, trying to, you know, I'm going to put this guy in charge, even though he was against me in the election, to try to get on his good side. And then the tension of, like, is he even going to open the gate and let me in? Turns out he's going to. You know, he's just hanging out and worrying about things. He should have been much more on guard or just bailed and, and run away or, or something. Like, he had many other outs, but... And I, the thing where you were saying, Jason, like that he is making big, the correct big picture decisions. I think a lot of his doubt, uh, I believe a lot of his doubt that like, is he making the correct big picture decisions? Like maybe, you know, the whole wilding things is a fantasy because they're talking about this army of white walkers as thousands upon thousands upon thousands of what the wildlings aren't going to help you there. It was nice that you gave them shelter and let them through the wall. It's a nice humane thing to do, but that's not going to save you. Well, it means that they're not in the army. Because when you're fighting the army of the dead, anybody you leave behind becomes part of the army. I know, but like the army of the dead sounds like it's so massively bigger right. than any other army they have anyway. And then, so these are the two overarching things I see in the show is that winter is coming and those dudes took a really long time to walk down from the snow or are finally making some progress. And the other thing is Daenerys. And I feel like she is like the main character in the show. Like she's trying to return to the throne to rule a place. And meanwhile, that place is, is is threatened by the White Walkers, which apparently the White Walkers don't hang out on the other side of the world. I don't know. I can't tell. It's if they too, have warm. A, too hot. It's too the, land, the land only extends north in, in Westeros there. So let's talk about Daenerys a little bit. Um, I felt like I felt like her story was uh, a lot of, especially in the first part of the season, a lot of rerun from previous seasons <laughs> where I felt like she was just kind of on hold. Um, the books feel like too. Well, yeah, I know. She spends this a lot is... of time in the books like, oh, it's the it's the governing. Like, this is boring. She's, learning yeah, she's really bad at yeah. governing and she's not a quick study. She does this weird genius bar thing where people come to her <laughs> and ask her for help directly. It's like she needs something more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've mixed in a whole bunch of different characters there because now we have Jorah Mormont back in the picture. We have Grey 
Worm, we have Missandei, we have Tyrion, we now have Ferris as of the end of the episode. Yeah. Who I thought for a minute, I had a brief minute where I'm like, is Varys a like? Is Tyrion imagining Varys here? Because like he okay. shows up and he's he like, he just like let him in. and I'm like, is he gonna like? Are we gonna like get the cutback? And then it turns out he's just talking to himself. Like I half thought that was how that was gonna go. <laughs> They'll replay all the scene that Varys was in, and you realize he was never there. <laughs> no one else ever talked to him except for Tyrion. No, that's not true. But the anyway. reason I'm excited about this as a, uh, a season finale is because for, for the rest of the time until the next season comes along, in my head, I can just pretend that the next season is going to be 10 episodes of Varys and Tyrion just chatting because I would be completely happy with that. It is pretty great. I, I, I mean, Tyrion, so here's, here's actually, I think, that one of the most important things that happened this season in the show is they put characters together. Uh, they, cro- they crossed over these the storylines. Daenerys has been operating in a vacuum other than uh, like Baristan showed up um, and uh, after leaving King's Landing. But this year we get Tyrion interacting with Daenerys the story mm-hmm. is starting to converge at last because honestly Daenerys's story has been almost entirely in a vacuum this whole time so it was nice mm-hmm. to see that uh finally kind of come together where we got to see we got to see her um interacting with Tyrion that was just so there's some beautiful scenes there yeah I think mm-hmm. I think I I've never been a big fan of Daenerys's storyline in most of the books um and so it, it because it's so isolated you know, I'd always I would get to those chapters and be like, oh, man, let's go back to like what's happening with the politics in this other place. Like, why am I caring about this city, you know, halfway across the world where it doesn't seem to have any impact on like the rest of these characters? And so it's nice that they have jumped to a point now where this is they're tying up those those knots and saying like, all right, this is this is going to have an impact on sort of our main overarching story here rather than being isolated in its own little pocket across the sea. Uh, so and and you know those are it's nice to see Tyrion doing something other than being locked in a box mm. um, always a plus although I do enjoy all his scenes with Jorah this season where they're mm-hmm. in a boat uh, yep. and he talks a lot yeah great pretty much you put boats. Tyrion together with anybody and I'm a happy yeah. camper he's a winner <laughs> but Tyrion winner. in a boat show could be a show he's in a box for a while then he's in a boat then he's back Jorah's in a box. boat is not a, a boat. great boat to be on I would think he's so competent as a knight why is he such a bad boat driver person who takes them he's, right he's terrible the... at boats he's not great at boats john he put all his points in knighting he didn't put any points in boat <laughs> yeah, driving that's right the, the other character i thought took a misstep this season was cersei has been so cutthroat and th- so savvy why in the world would she cede power like she had her mm-hmm. son essentially in the palm of her hand and made sure that she maintained that position with her son by you know dealing with the wife situation there why in the world would she risk it all to bring in these religious guys and basically give them power over the 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 king power over the throne i see i don't agree with that because i think it's a misstep like i think it's not it's not her giving up power she's not realizing what she's, but she's so in. savvy she no. should realize that no like, but but she she's taken a, a risk because she's been marginalized right she's been she's she's been pushed aside she's the she's not the queen anymore she's essentially the queen mother and a small council she's tried to form it in her fashion but in comes uncle kevin lannister and he's going to do things his way and 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 when she she's playing a game by thinking that she can manipulate the high the, the sparrows and use that to her advantage because she's feeling weak at that moment but it, but it ends up consuming her yeah yeah but but like but the thing is she could get she could get rid of the wife or marginalize the wife without like the whole play is how can you make the king do anything you need to set up a situation where the queen 
someone can tell the queen what to do. Someone can condemn the queen for something or whatever. So by setting that up, you have to create something that is more powerful than the king and the queen. And that thing is, by definition, a threat to you, whether you can control it or not, whether whether the High Sparrow is, is noble and has good intentions or is corrupt, doesn't matter. Like, it's not a Cersei move. I feel like she would never do that. She would find some other way, even if it's like poison lipstick, if you want to go that far. Like, there are, so many other, there are so many ways to get rid of a, a troublesome wife. <laughs> that, that's going to be a great quote out of context for John. Yeah, we'll use that at the top. <laughs> crisscross, crisscross. I think Marjorie and, and Elena, her aunt it right is uh i think they're just too they're they're too devious that they're not gonna they're they're playing the game hard and it's mm-hmm. uh and and i do feel like cersei's backed in a corner and that's why she makes what turns out to be a terrible decision yeah, she to bring in the religious fundamentalists yay what could go and wrong even if they're not religious fundamentalists it's like the, the she's she willing the, the the throne willingly ceded power to the religious people like my impression is that the religious people have existed in king's landing for a long time but they were never in charge charge no, right they were they were pushovers, right? Mm-hmm. And and now they, they are they rule they rule Westeros because if they're in charge of the king, yeah. But she does she doesn't put them in she doesn't put them in charge of the king though. They they take that because there's an upswell. I mean, we're seeing what's fascinating about all of that is that there's essentially a revolution happening. Like it's a slow revolution, and and the the people in like Cersei who are in this the kind of royal position are are missing the fact that this revolution is going on. She misreads it. So, you know, I, 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 I'm with Dan on this. I think, I think this is her acting desperately thinking that she's going to be able to control the whole situation, not understanding the backing of the people and the plant, the, the, the savviness of the high sparrow. And it, and it very rapidly runs out of her control. I can see that, but I think I'm a little bit more uh, with John on this one, just because I feel like, again, not having read the books uh, with much of her, but I, I certainly, enjoyed watching her more when she was being smart and savvy and just you know she was cutting through all of the nonsense and getting what she wanted what would by whatever means were necessary and i understand they they did an okay job of backing her into a corner so that she had to sort of take this risk but i it, it just maybe it's just because i enjoy watching her less when she has been brought so low um i mean that I don't like what she's doing when she's doing well, but I enjoy watching it. So mm. if that makes sense. She's, she's, so she's good at so her it's, job. Just, it didn't ring quite as true as it could have because I felt like I admired her so much in the past that to make such a boneheaded move, um, just it, it, it was kind of like a clang. Whoops. I will admit in the last two books, there's a lot of, boy, um, Cersei's lost it, right? She's like lost mm. her touch. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like her touch came from a lot of uh, controlling her family and... Tommen is such a lame duck that she can control him however she wants um, if Marjorie wasn't there. And I agree with you, John, that, you know, she puts this thing not necessarily above the king and queen, but in a place where they can harm them and can be, you know, a force on them. And it would... It would make more sense if Tommen wasn't such a lame duck. Yeah, and well, and her father is gone, and her brother is gone, and her other brother is gone, right? I mean, she's got less, <laughs> she's got less of those, those, those pieces around her on top of it. it I think it's interesting. Actually, uh, something Erica said um, I think is fascinating, which is um, Cersei, what she does is bad, uh, you know, I would argue, but, um, but she, she's been good at it. And um, so to see her be bad at it is is strangely difficult because you're rooting against her, but you kind of want her to fail on 
you know, on her own terms. And you want her and, to get her comeuppance for yeah, being the, exactly. the wicked, the, the wicked mother. You don't want her to fall on her own sword or make a blunder. It's like, oh, that's an unforced error, right? So her last scene where she is marched naked through the streets and everybody's spitting on her and cursing at mm. her as they go ding ding or shame 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 ding, <laughs> three shames and a ding. That's how you do it. Um, <laughs> the uh, that is it's actually kind of painful to watch because you think to yourself, I should be gleeful that so many bad things are happening to Cersei Lannister, and I'm not. I was I'm gleeful about it in a different way. I was gleeful because I said, Cersei's going to kill a lot oh, of nuns. Man. She <laughs> is going to kill nuns like no one has killed nuns before. <laughs> right? Because because the thing that was the whole question this season. Like, is she ever going to get out of the dungeon? Is the High Sparrow just pulling her chain? Are they ever going to let her out? Like, letting her out and having her do that big walk, like, big mistake, guys. Big mm, mistake. Because like the whole enemy. The whole people's, uh, you know, the whole people's army thing or whatever. Like, that's great and all. Like, oh, well, you know, the, the rich people up in there and, and the religious people are appealing to the masses and you're all poor and we're poor too and we realize that we shouldn't be ba- they don't have an army. Yeah, they've got people with a little tattoo on their foreheads. You kidding? There's like ten of those guys. Kings Lane, like <laughs> they have an army of people with swords, and like there, you there is no uprising. Like there's a reason that the royalty has been in power for so long because the people, as disheveled as they might be, and like oh, we need to rise up. They don't have an army, and those religious guys, they do not have an army. They don't have good fighters. They don't have a lot of men. They don't have equipment. They don't have supplies. Like. They can't. I'm assuming they will try to be a people's uprising, but the people are going to lose, or at least they should. So that's why it's even more the more ridiculous that you're ceding power to these people so they can like become, you know, make this populist uprising. Uh, I mean, it it just seems like even the French Revolution. I think you had a little bit more of a of a fair fight. No matter how angry the people in King's Landing get, I feel like they are not going to make a dent in the actual standing army of the royals in power, which is why when Cersei gets better and freshens up a bit, she's going to march <laughs> back into that thing and kill all those nuns. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, she's not going to make the same mistake again, right? Unless she's broken, unless unless she's like a broken person, because that's kind of the arc that Jamie had. Like he had a particular attitude. Losing his hand really took him down a few pegs. It humanized him. Now I think he's a different character than he was, and that's why I kind of disagree with the whole uh, idea that like these are archetypes and they're not changing anymore. I think most of the characters do have arcs. I think Daenerys is still kind of in the middle of her arc, and Jamie now is a different character than he was, and this different character can start a new arc in a, in a new endeavor that I hope he does. And I, and I also liked all the Mediterranean people like the all the people from Dorne and those characters even though they were only here for a short period of time I found them charismatic and appealing and I like Dorne and I like the culture clash and, and all that other stuff so I was still enthralled by this season despite the uh the many episodes that have uh you know, that are that are you know basically bummers yeah yeah can we talk about Dorne I wish there was more like I really wish that the sand snakes had more to do especially because their very first scene is such a big enthralling yes we are going to take down the Lannisters because we are here and we are going to declare everything like this and it's like <laughs> I really wish that they had more to do besides kiss people and poison people with the kisses well and and Prince Doran too who also Dr. Bashir we need Dr. more Dr. Bashir. Dr. Bashir uh and he doesn't he doesn't end up with that much to do He's kind of ineffectual as a lead. Like, he clearly has some, you know, clout, but he's also only barely keeping a hold of sort of the situation down there. But he's making the right move. Like, he's one of the... I like to see a leader, like, as every leader, like a bloodthirsty power craze maniac. No, this guy's like, war sucks. Let's let's hang out and eat grapes, guys. Chill. Yeah, I feel like, though, if you're going to introduce this whole scene, you need to do more with it. Because it feels like, in, in the end, I just felt like... We spent a whole season in Dorne, and yet what we really had was sort of like we had the beach adventures of of Bronn and Jamie, and then <laughs> we fun. had like that one fight, 
and then they were in jail, and then they went home. Oh, but there was po- poison, and Marcella died. I, I mean, I like, like the poison well, that was thing. It. Because that that's like, you know, you thought in the previous episode that she had, she, by doing that, she's, I assuming, essentially, like, signing her own death warrant. Like, that she, in the end, she couldn't let yeah. it go. Like, she tried to say, okay, revenge. well. Right. Because it's, you know, I don't know why they just didn't turn the boat around. Like, they weren't that far away. It's like, <laughs> eh, turn this sucker around. We're going back. Hey, guess what? Remember the thing you told your sister not to do? She just did kill her. Well, I, you know what? And that, and that was worse telegraphed than the Ollie thing for me. Yep. Was, oh, yeah. Like the, as yeah. soon as she lays the kiss on her, I'm like, oh, you dead. are dead. Oh, even before you that, when, when, she, when she kissed the ring in the previous episode, I'm like, she kissed, she's not going to be able to let this go. Yeah, but I, I knew, yeah, yeah. Well, it was nice that they, uh, it was nice that, that Jamie got some time to acknowledge she was daughter, that he was her dad, even though she already knew. Right, yeah, like two she seconds before she dies, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like when poison is timed to like dramatic, dramatic revelation poison that <laughs> occurs right after a dramatic revelation. Yeah, and if you're in a place like, it seems like all these Dornish women have poison and antidotes. Like, if you're hanging out there, like, just <laughs> wouldn't everyone have one of those little blue bottles of antidote around their neck just in case? It's like an EpiPen, right? <laughs> they hand them out at the border. You know, if, if you're allergic to poison, have that around as a little EpiPen to just, you know, after every meal, just take it for the, for the hell of it. It's yeah. a digestive. It could be sand snake poison. Yes. One one last thing before we wrap up uh, Game of Thrones, which is um, I wanted to ask about the idea. There are so many storylines in this show, and there are moments that I felt like it, it just struggled to keep the momentum going. And adding Dorn into the wheel just adds another thing you have to keep cutting around to. And although I think episode eight was kind of spectacular in its in in that fight scene in that last half hour, um, so often we get these episodes where you're just cutting. It, it's hard to get it going because they remind you where we are, and then we see a scene, and then we're done. And then the next episode, it's like that Spider-Man comic strip. You know, <laughs> it just it very slowly. Remember what happened forward. last week? This is what happens. This nope, nope. Yeah. Well, one time for one panel. So I, I just I don't know if anybody else shares that, but I, I feel like that the, the show continues to struggle with that point, which is that there's sort of too much going on in too many places, and they seem to be trying to streamline it, but it's still hard to get the story going, and then all of a sudden it's over. Well, the show has always been about advancing all of these storylines forward, 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 climax. And before it always felt like, okay, they're advancing this plot, they're advancing this plot, enough to keep you interested. And in this season, I feel like they tried to do that, but it ended up with trudging, 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 major episode where everything happens and we're all crying on Twitter. That's how I felt the finale was. <laughs> I actually enjoy the trudging. Oh, maybe maybe it's my classic Doctor Who, you know, cred coming up here. But I like the slower pace. I mean, I can't remember which episode it was, but it was the one where afterwards everybody was like, nothing happened. And I was like, and it was my favorite one. Because I, I like just going, you know, cycling through and seeing little things happen. I, I, you know, the big stuff is fine. But honestly, I get bored by the fight scenes. Uh, yeah, that's true. In my notes every week when we do these uh, TV podcasts, it goes, they fight. And they're, they're cool. They're fun to watch, but they fight. That's it. Well, some of these fights were important. Like the hard home one, you know, we've just been complaining, asking when they're going to get to the fireworks factory for so long. It's like, <laughs> finally, the White Walkers are here and they're overrunning places with people. Not just one guy, not just a guy who sees them wandering by on a horse, not, you know, but like an entire <laughs> hey, town. So like, how's it going? You know, yeah, they, they, that's what we've been waiting for. The White Walkers have been coming down. They arrive, and it, it is a payoff of all of the, all of the, you know, the boy who cried wolf. Like, you know, Jon Snow saying, God, the White Walkers are coming. We've seen them. My friend killed one. They're going to get here. We know winter's coming. What are we all arguing about? It's stupid. Like, you know, we should all be together because that, and en- we have a common enemy. And like, in the middle of the discussion of trying to figure this out, it's like, ah, and they're here too late. I've been trying to convince you this for like five seasons, and you guys 
guys are not getting it. <laughs> no. And see, this is what I was telling you. These guys right here. See this? Now, now, John, imagine you had read five almost thousand page books <laughs> and they still hadn't showed up. <laughs> and yet, and yet... I would happily tra- I would happily trade all of the wall scenes for more stuff in Dorne. Like I I know people get excited about the White Walkers, but that's the part of the show that I just kind of like it goes back to the wall, and I'm like, okay, I'll wait it out until <laughs> until I have something more colorful or interesting or bantery to watch. <sighs> zombies, okay, zombies, fine. I, I just really like that scene. That I thought Hard Home as a set piece was fantastic. Just well mm-hmm. shot, yeah. well, uh, you know, great effects, super creepy, really atmospheric. The fog and then the silence and the fights with the White Walker. Because, again, having read so many books and been like, oh, man, the White Walkers, like John said, they just sort of lurk around the edges, stealing things and killing people. And you're like, well, they seem like a kind of a vague, shadowy threat. But they're really, you know, there's not a lot of substance to them. And so to actually see them, this is this is what you're dealing with was actually I, I thought that was a high point of the season for me because it did really bring home like this is this is a real threat. It's not just this shadowy, mysterious force coming from the north. And to see, you know, I just I really I, I had a jaw drop moment when uh when, you know, I think John is gonna get like stabbed or something. I you know, I didn't think he was gonna die at that point, but like when the, the Valyrian steel holds and then he shatters the guy, I had a moment of that was pretty cool. <laughs> so I have to say, I, I, I was, and having read so, you know, spent so much time in the books and, re, and watching the show and everything, it was nice, to, as we talked about up front, to see something that wasn't in the books and that I had no expectation of what was going to happen. So I also love political intrigue. Uh, and I, I agree that there were parts of the season that felt a little bit shorter on that. But I, I will call out Hard Home as I think just a just a fantastic set piece. I thought he could have died there. I was fully expecting like this could be it for John because this would be a fitting end of like him going up another another foolish mission. Like I'm going to go convince these guys. Like I'm going to go with them. I'm going to leave the Night's Watch to like you know plan my murder by by, by themselves. I'm going to go. I'm going to talk to these guys. I'm going to try to convince them. And then in the middle of me trying to convince them, I didn't even get a chance. So these guys come and like this could be the end for him. Uh, and they did the nice thing where they're slowly revealing the parameters of of the white walker enemy oh so the dragon glass that does something right so we had that dramatic scene where we we talked what's his name was definitely going to be dead and he saved himself with that Sam. and then we yeah. see the white walkers killing a bunch of other people but they again they telegraph this i should never watch the scenes they showed the scene where he gets a sword it's valerian steel so i kind of saw that coming because it's like why <laughs> why are you mentioning that sword again and how it's made hmm who has that sword yeah. um but but it's exciting to see, you know, because the characters in the show don't know what the parameters of the enemy are either. What, how can they be defeated? What works getting them? Was that? That's why they were excited about the dragon glass. It's like this worked once, and then Jon Snow's like, "Hey, this other thing worked once, but how, how many of those swords are there? Uh, not enough." Like, you know, but <laughs> but at least they're at least they're figuring stuff out. I didn't for a moment think that that Jon Snow was going to die um, with all the the White Walkers because that would have been like sort of a noble death with him trying his best. And I have come to expect that everybody's going to die in the most horrible, awful, gut wrenching way possible. Uh, it was noble what he did. Like, he didn't even fight back. He was like, "My friends, they don't like me." No, <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's noble. <laughs> Well, you know, it's noble, it's noble not to fight back. It's noble not to flee, you know. It's as gut-wrenching as the Red Wedding because it's these characters that we love and we've had for years and then they're there and they're – I disagree. I feel like they should have – he could have fought back and the scene would have been much more different if he had fought back, fought back, fought back and then died after maybe five minutes or so. And it's almost like the Red Wedding because they're there, they're hanging out, having a good time and then suddenly – like 
completely playing dirty. They just stab him. And it's so upsetting in that way, mainly because, you know, a character you love deserves a much better death. But but he, his feelings are hurt. <laughs> and his body. Yeah, right. But, but amongst <laughs> all of it, he's like, I know you guys don't like me. and I know I narrowly won this election, but come on, guys. Like, you see that I'm trying to do what's right like he's he feels betrayed and hurt uh in a way that it, basically like, that's that's why i feel like you know the character didn't fight back because it's like because he's just so hurt that he's like in the end uh these people who i thought would understand that what i was doing was for the best don't understand i really am alone so just everyone take turns stabbing me and that's why ollie comes and he's like not you too ollie because i thought maybe i could convince you and i don't want you to have to live with it like but he doesn't fight back no, he just wants everybody to take turns. Now, no, no seconds. No, no seconds. Everybody gets <laughs> Get one shot. Line. But, but that's that's what's on his face. On his face is the disappointment that uh, of of the betrayal. Like, and and you know, he's. I was like, just doing what like, was right. Uh, like father, like son. That you know, the, yeah. it's general yeah. in the Game of Thrones world. If you are a noble, honorable person trying to yeah. do the right thing. I mean, I guess the closest we have is Tyrion, who's kind of noble and kind of honorable sometimes, except... But he's out for himself enough that he's not dead yet. Yay. Yeah, I mean, he did kill his his ex-girlfriend. Killing his dad is fine. His dad kind of had that coming. Killing his ex-girlfriend, that's... I mean, he's not as he's not as noble as Jon Snow. I will or, point out uh, the, as stuff. like father likes son, even though he is maybe not, maybe not. Yeah, well, he, yeah. he he was like uh, uncle. In previous episodes, like, he was his father the, should have embraced him as the one son that is the most like him, but he didn't. Oh well. Oh well. So sad. That's he's dead now, or <laughs> you know, but he might not stay there. But we'll see. I'll come back that. as a White Walker. Lots he, of he fans have theories, and Kid Harrington has apparently said that they told him he's done. Yeah, well, that's is, I think then it, again, I think is also a lie. He would smoke screens. This is Doctor Doctor Who fans know they tell him to say <laughs> lots of things that are totally not true. It is funny because now we are all in that position of spending mm-hmm. the next year or so, and and I guess now it's a race whether George R. R. Martin or the or the HBO gets to it first. So I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think we'd already know when the next. Uh, George R. R. Martin book was coming out. If it was going to be coming out by next spring, <laughs> no, they might they might surprise drop it. Like wake yeah. up tomorrow and be it's like, like a, ah, it's like out. A, like a Beyonce <laughs> album. Yeah, they exactly. should do the next exactly. two seasons of the TV show and then have the books be entirely different. Yeah, they might. I think that's what's going to happen. Actually, yeah. like not just a little bit different in the details, but as in have the ending be different. Like in the books, the White Walkers win, and the TV show they don't. Like that kind of ending. <laughs> <laughs> in the book, Marvin has a circular head. In the movie, uh, he has a yeah. square head. Yeah. All that. It's totally different. <laughs> All right, that wraps it up for this time. Uh, that was a good conversation. We talked about uh, various TV shows. Then we talked about one TV show. I'd like to thank all my guests for being here tonight. David Lore, thank you for all your many great contributions. Hey, I love that one TV show. <laughs> no, you mean the other TV shows. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Brian Hamilton, thank you so much for being on the show. And it was a pleasure talking Game of Thrones with you all season on the TV podcast, too. Or the Watch podcast that we did. Yeah. <laughs> for the apple watch dan morin uh, thank you for being here and now our watch has ended and now our watch has ended <laughs> erica ensign thank you uh, thank you for having me i'm just gonna go bleed in the snow yep it's like a snow don't eat the the, the red snow it's blood, <laughs> probably blood and john syracuse so thank you you knew something john snow but now we'll never know what it was no no <laughs> Now it's just nothing. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. Uh, I've been your host, Jason Snow, and we will see you next week.
I'm Anthony Johnston, the host of Unjustly Maligned here on the Incomparable Network, and I've already burned through 15 seconds of the oh-so-precious minute I've been given to tell you about the show. It's all about the sometimes strange things we love that other people, well, don't. Some of the guests defending their tastes in pop culture include Will Wheaton. The uh, original Tron. Lee Alexander. The Twilight Universe. Merlin Mann. The 2009 movie Watchmen. Casey Liss. The Dave Matthews Band. Erica Ensign. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And of course, it wouldn't be an incomparable show without Jason Snell himself poking his nose in. Stargate SG-1, the science fiction TV series. Plus many, many more. Unjustly Maligned is the show for people who go against the grain. Every Monday, here on The Incomparable. Go to ump.fm to subscribe, and remember, there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. Wow, three seconds left. Nailed.